Hey there, welcome to the show. Well, I've got an exciting one for you this week. I've got two fabulous guests that are going to be joining me. One in studio, one via Zoom. I've got Bryn Lackey. She's from Chestnut Park. You'll catch Bryn's um, articles in the Toronto Sun. And a returning guest who was part of my original panel with the Real Estate Talk Triangle. I've got Romana King joining me. She's from the West Coast now. She did move out there a few years ago. Romana had been a big part of the show for many, many years. Um, she's now currently the group editor at Finder. But she does a lot of financial journalism. And you know what? Great to see some of her articles. So Romana King is going to be joining us shortly. But um, before I go down that path, hey, have you signed up for my seminar webinar? I got a question for you. How would you like to own an investment property with no money down? That's right, because I'm giving away not one, but two down payments for our newest release in London, Ontario. You know what? I can't believe that we're actually doing it, but it's really exciting. And so we're going to be doing a giveaway here in our head office during the seminar. That's right. So, But we hold about 150 people, so you get a chance, one in 150. That's, that's a, I think, a pretty good chance. And then we also have our webinar, okay? And so if you're at home, and you're watching the webinar, if we post your name up on the screen, you just have to call the number and you end up winning your down payment. So I've got two of them happening. And guess what? It's on a Saturday. We haven't done a seminar on a Saturday forever. So that's coming up on Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. Go to the simpleinvestor.com. Look, I'm not going to be doing this again. I can tell you that. So this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's a great down payment giveaway. Don't miss out. But now joining me, I've got Bryn Lackey. And so just so you know, Bryn is part of Chestnut Park. She's also a columnist with the Toronto Sun. And Bryn, how are you? Great. How are you? Great to have you come in today. I really appreciate you joining me. And um, you know what? You uh, you definitely you did a great job coming in uh, in the summer, joining us for the Talk Triangle. And, uh, you know, it was pretty hard for me to, 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 you know, put, let Tim have, have the seat back up when you were here. So <laughs> yes. we were, we were in a, in a fight to the death. So yeah. It's fine. I concede. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about the real estate market because, you know, there's so many, um, it, it, it's kind of funny. A lot of people are going doing the doomsaying thing and, you know, this, the predictions of massive crashing and, and so much inventory and. You know, when, when, when I look at it, you know, I always, I always take a step backwards. If we want to compare to 21 or 22, I, I just don't think you need those numbers. But, you know, I went backwards and I went to 2018, 2019 and start looking at inventory and things like that. And we're really not that far, far, you know, askew right now. You know, I think if you're pulling back, yeah, I think you can sort of see it even out over time. I think what we're seeing right now is it gets recalibrated in real time is sort of the micro impacts. And in the same, I always say that real estate is micro markets, micro focused. Um, when you see these impacts of these rates, of people qualifying, of all of those things that are driving this market to get it quiet, I think there are real impacts for people. Um, but, you know, I, I, we've come through this unprecedented time, not to use the world's worst phrase, um, and it needed to sort of restore back to some sense of normalcy. And so broadly, yeah, I think this was a long time coming, but I think in the process, it's a little, it's a little jarring for a lot of people. You know, you mentioned about micro uh, markets and I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny how that is because, you know, you'll still catch some tales that, you know, there are properties selling in multiple offers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you still see things going above asking. Yeah. And yet everybody is sitting there looking at the market saying, how is that possible? Like, 
you know, there, there, there's the doomsayers, of course. And, and you know, I, I get a kick out of it because a lot of these people, when they start talking about the market itself, they think, you know, there's going to be a massive retraction. And yet they keep forgetting that, you know, if a property comes on the market for sale, we aren't adding to the inventory. We're just merely shifting the resident, you know? So if, like, let's say, let's say a landlord goes to sell a property. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's a tenant in it. And let's say somebody that's going to go owner occupied ends up buying it. They kick the tenant out. Well, we didn't add anything into the inventory mix because now the tenant has to find a place to live. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that's why, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you see it on the ground where you have your colleagues, some of them saying, you know, sky's falling and others are saying, what are you talking about? I mean, I, some might say that I'm a doomsayer in a lot of ways because I've, I'm very candid about what I'm seeing. And sometimes that sort of runs contrary to the narrative of everything's great, nothing to see here. I think there is a lot going on. I think that we are looking at rates that were incomprehensible a year ago. I don't think anyone thought that we would see rates this high for this long. And it is what it is. And to say, you know, we are watching the market really turn around and and I keep saying recalibrate, but that's what it is. And recalibration is normal. Um, you know, it's it's not being, you're not catastrophizing by saying, hold on. There are a lot of people who, A, the buyer pool is smaller because affordability is almost impossible in some ways. There are a lot of people who are unsure about what to do. And I think even just something as simple as no longer being able to feel confident that if you buy something, well, you can sell your house on the back end without trouble. I think that even that is causing a bit of a chokehold in the market. You see great things that people aren't rushing for because then they're going, hold on, but how am I going to sell my house? What am I likely to sell it for? So all of that is just taking time to flush its way through. Yeah. But you know, here, here, here's the thing, you know, for, uh, after being in the industry for over 30 years, you know, back years ago, I can tell you that a lot of offers were accepted with conditional on the sale of the, you know, the, the, the buyer's property. And, and so I think that what what I what I learned going through, especially twenty twenty one, was people are very very short minded. You know, all of a sudden interest rates. You know, everybody thinks well, interest rates should now be next to nothing, and 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 that was what people don't realize was the safety measure that that was. Yeah. Right, like that was a massive safety measure that was put in place by the government. But yet, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, but that's the way it should be, and it's like, no, no, it wasn't sustainable. So, what is sustainable? You know, if we take a look at the balance of a market economically, you know, financially and what people can do with stress and what they should be focusing on, you know, I think interest rates that have a three or a four in front of it should really be the norm. So, Safe. yeah, it's going to make a healthy market. So we're not having crazy people speculating, but at the same time, we have people that can still work affordability. And if it has a four in it, you know what, that is still going to be a very, uh, I think, should be a common rate in our future. Yes. And I think you raise a good point, which is you can almost make two categories of people who transacted during the COVID boom, which is the people who knew it was here for a good time, not a long time. So enjoy it while you can and enjoy this rock bottom rate and you make sure. Or there are the people who, you know, and they talked about it, the irrational exuberance of thinking, oh, this is new normal. I'm an investor now. And they're buying pre-constructions and they're buying investment properties and they're doing the whole thing without ever any sort of long-term understanding of what that looks like. And that those are the people who are suffering right now. The people who are in the world of hurt are the people who didn't think big picture. They're the people who thought like, oh, this is it. And I think there's a lot of short memories. I think even amongst colleagues, there are a lot of agents where it normalized for them running businesses of doing 30 transactions a year. 
Um, now the I think the last I heard was Treb is down seventy percent transaction volume, which, you know, it, it it makes sense when you look at all of the broader things going on. But I think there are a lot of people who just thought that it, that was the new normal and it was going to stay. Yeah, and you know, there's there's where the problem lies is that um, also when we talk about the industry, you know, you and I have talked about professionals coming into the industry or people just coming into the industry. Period. And, you know, they get very short-sighted. All of a sudden, somebody thinks he can have these big, you know, commissions. All of a sudden, they're going to come running into the industry, make a whole bunch of money really quick. Um, that, that's not how the industry should work. It's not how it does work. You know, now everybody's suffering. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of broker owners uh, over the last few months. And, you know, the people that have been in the business for a long time were the savers. They knew what to do. They knew how to you know, project long-term, make sure they've got their marketing in place. The people that came in quickly to make the big buck, you know, they're watching their Mercedes get pulled out of the parking lot because they can't afford their lease. Yeah. And, and this is a reality, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not just, you know, a story here and there. This is right across the industry. Yeah. I think right now, 50% of realtors are on the rocks. Oh, I might say more. I know amazing agents who their businesses are substantially down this year, which would make sense. And then um, I would think that anyone who didn't have any of the fundamentals to realizing that it's actually a business you're running, you're not just out there like sending emails from your iPhone, um, they're going to be finding that if you don't have the fundamentals to this and treat this like the profession that it should be, um, yeah, you're, you're, it's an expendable business. I think people have been at it the longest. You know, I was really lucky when I first got in the business to be mentored by someone who's now been 40 years in, it's a feast or famine business. And you're supposed to approach it that way. And I think that we're now having the sort of ripple effects of that to even the consumer of thinking that real estate only goes up. Um, it's interesting if you have a lot of people who are the professionals believing that, that it only ever goes up and there are no hard times. Um, if that's the information we can download to the public, yeah, you can sort of also see the contributing factor to how we got here. Yeah. Um, Britt, I'm going to have you hang on to the hot seat right there. Um, folks, you know what? Um, I do have another guest that's going to be joining us. Uh, I can't wait to start talking to her. It's been a while. I've got Romana King just waiting to hop on with me. And just so you know, Romana has been part of the real estate talk triangle when I first started it years and years and years ago. She ended up heading out west. Um, the one thing I can tell you is she is an incredible a uh, person when they talk when they talk about financing, she's actually won the Excellence in Financial Journalism Best Book Award in 2022, and I'm looking forward to catching up with her. So when we come back from the break, we're going to have Romana King join us. And hey, don't forget, coming up on Saturday, November the 4th, how would you like to win a down payment for an investment property? How about two winners? Well, you got it. During my Simple Seminar webinar, if you're in studio with me, you've got a 1 in 150 chance to win the down payment for a one-bedroom investment property in London, Ontario. And if not, join us by the webinar. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out all the information. We're really excited about it and can't wait to see everybody here. So that is Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. And when we come back, I've got Romana King and Bryn Lackey are going to be joining me. And welcome back. Um, as I mentioned uh, while I was talking to Bryn Lackey here, and um, just so you know, Bryn is with Chestnut Park Realty, and you can catch her um, column in the Toronto Sun 
uh, that I've got Romana King joining me. And for those of you that have been listening to me for years, you're going to remember that actually it was Romano and, um, and another guest that they were actually the start of the real estate talk triangle. And of course, then Romana decided to go out west. So I, you know, we weren't able to reach out as much as we'd like. But just to give you an idea, she's been a uh, working as a financial journalist for the last 20 years. Um, she's got work that can be found in the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, McLean's uh, Canadian Business, and as well is now the group editor at Finder. And Romana, it is so nice to have you back on the show. It's great to be here, Todd. So, you know, I missed I missed a lot of our updates because, you know, you and I uh, were going through a couple different markets. So let's talk about the West Coast. Then you and you, Brent and I can have a great conversation about what a crazy world this is. But let's talk about what's going on in the West Coast, because, you know, unfortunately, since I haven't talked in a while, not sure where you're sitting in comparison to Toronto real estate. Well, I mean, I think like across the country, the West is also experiencing, you know, a larger amount of supply, both in detached townhouses and, and condos. And so that's obviously making it more of a buyer's market. Uh, people seem to be shocked by that. I, I know Bryn, I, I was listening before. I'm shocked they're shocked. She's shocked they're shocked. We're all shocked. We're all shocked. <laughs> yeah, that people are shocked. It, it doesn't surprise me. It has become very expensive. I don't think that the regular Joe and Jane homeowners that bought a few years ago anticipated rates, mortgage rates going up so quickly and adding so much to housing cost expenses that, you know, people did get caught off guard and, and, and are trying to find ways to make it more affordable so that they can actually have a home that they don't feel like they're going to lose at any point. So we do, we do, we have seen an uptick, um, you know, detached homes, townhomes, and apartments, there has been more listings, so there's there's it's there's more to choose from, and the days on market actually are are not as great as they were a year ago. So, you know, the buyers that are, are out there, they they are quite um, they're interested. There's still an appetite, so that's why we're not seeing this huge drop in prices. You know, everyone's expecting that huge crash. We're not seeing that because. Although there's more uh, inventory, and, and, and I know you made that point about, you know, is there really more inventory? Well, there's more choice for the buyers. I'll, I'll put it that way. Although there's more choice for the buyers, these buyers have been waiting on the sidelines for so long that they're doing what I, I preach, which is they're not waiting for the market. They're actually buying based on their own financial plan. So even though rates have gone up, their own financial plan is allowing them to, to get into the market with more choice in the market. They are snapping up those deals. You know, Ramona, you've been you've been around the world of real estate for many years, and one of the things that I think we can talk about then, of course, is you know we talk about supply and demand, and of course, supply is viewed two ways. One being, of course, what is on the market for somebody to consume right now, but then we have to look at the aspect of supply: is how many properties can we build to match our immigration? And you know, Brendan and I've talked a lot about immigration in some of our past shows. I wouldn't mind getting your take on it because, again, the numbers were completely skewed based on what the government was reporting. You know, originally they thought a million. Now they're going to be closer to two million for 2023 when all people are counted. And yet our production right now is going to sit just about 210,000 new units. Like we are we are sadly mistaken if we think that we're going to play catch up. But again, when it comes down to the market itself, you know, there's all these people, you know, and, and it's funny because I, I, I get people reaching out to me saying, Oh, Todd, you always talk about inventory. Of course, the market has to crash. And it's sort of like, well, hang on. People will adjust just to get a roof over their head. And this is one of those, it's it, it, it's not a want, it's a need. You know, it's, it's a have to. You have to have a roof over your head. 
So I think there are people that are making concessions. They'll put two families in a house now instead of one. You know, you got you taking a look at apartments that are being rented and two bedrooms are now housing six people. Like there are people that are adjusting into this economy to make it work because they still need a place to live. And so I know I just unpacked a whole bunch of stuff. So Ramana, <laughs> go. <laughs> well, I, I think you did unpack a bunch of stuff. And I think that what you unpacked was a, a couple decades of compounding problems. You know, we, we do have immigration. It's important for our economy as Canadians to have immigration. We just don't have the population. We, to put it bluntly, we can't breed enough to actually fund our own economy. So we need the immigration. I'm an immigrant. I'm very clear about that in most of my interviews. I am an immigrant. I'm here because I was born in another country. My family was born in another, another country. We came here because we wanted the Canadian life. That's exactly why we came here. My dad had those values. He wanted to raise his kids in a Canadian environment. So here we are. We're an immigrant. We started our life in an apartment building. And here is the problem. We set our life in an apartment building. I think we probably would have stayed there for a long time, but we wanted security. He wanted security for his kids to be able to grow up in a community where they could establish roots. And I think that actually is what we saw during the pandemic. Everyone thought it was crazy that a certain segment of the market was rushing into the into the housing market. Well, it wasn't crazy because when we buy a home, it's not for economic reasons. We think it is, we say it is, but it's not. It's actually for security reasons. And so when you talk about that, it's a it's a need rather than a must. You know, it's a it's, it's something that's a requirement um, as opposed to an investment. It is a requirement. We all need secure housing. The problem is, is we've sort of conflated this problem of we need secure housing. We need to build more supply of homes that people can buy. No, we need more secure homes that can come in the form of buying more or sorry, building more housing. But we've missed another really critical, vital, integral part of this, which is secure rental housing. Yeah. We are not going to have a solution to the problem of pricing when it comes to real estate until we have secure rental housing. When I say secure rental housing, it means stop downloading on the individual homeowner. I, I'm all for private uh, enterprises going into the rental market and building purpose-built rental market. Why? Because it's secure, safe rental. They're not going to one day realize they have to move up, sell the home and kick the tenant out. That's not secure rental. And so I have a real problem with with downloading, and that's federal, provincial and municipal governments, downloading the requirement, the responsibility on individual homeowners. And I think that we really need to look at purpose-built or funding for purpose-built rental units. And when we start doing that on all three levels, then we're actually going to have real long-term solution to the problem of of the pricing, you know, this this massive fluctuation in pricing and supply problems, and we're going to have more stable housing. And I know that I just went on a huge rant, so I'll stop now. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's great. It, it's great because Brit Britain's just uh, is nodding along, saying, "Yep, yep, that's how. Yep, yep, yep." You know, and 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 Brit, I haven't gotten your take on it. And Ramona, of course, I'm going to ask you yours as well. Of the with the Ford government backtracking on the green belt and. You know, my, my my biggest thing is is that if anybody did a full study on the actual land itself, not all of it was green belt originally. What they did was some of this some of this land actually wasn't floodplain. It, it, there was no endangered species, but they rolled it into being green belt because they were doing an acquisition. And by doing so, and then they go unwind it again, and then everybody says, "Wait a minute, it's green belt," just because it had the word green belt on it, but it wasn't truly green belt. So about a third of the land actually should have been developed. But now when they turn around, they kick it all to the curb and say, nothing gets developed. You had all these builders that were going to sit there and say, we're going to add inventory. 
Now, do you think they'll go near the government? Britt, I'll let you start and... I feel like you're going to hate what I'm going to say. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I think that that whole thing was such a bungle. Oh, I agree. I think the way they did it gave the optics of corruption. Yep. They, I still remember taking a bunch of kids to the movies on a Friday night and my phone going ding. And looking down, I'm like, they are literally announcing that they are doing a green belt swap on a Friday night. Like, that's how much they believed in what they were doing. And I think that the, the appearance of corruption or the existence of corruption, yep. and it may be one, it may be both. My personal take is yep. that it's it was a very problematic process. I think that our government, we have the right to expect them to behave themselves in um, ethical ways. And clearly, the fact that they reverse course like that was there was a lot to this that we didn't understand. And that part, yes. Do I think that it means we shouldn't have housing? No, but I also think that I would rather they slam on the brakes on that as opposed to a bunch of developers making a jillion dollars without the citizens understanding how it is that that came to pass. And that, to me, it's like it needed to be reversed. Do I think that we should reverse housing? No. But I, there was something really yeah. fishy about but, that that was it was pretty gross. Right. So, which I agree. And I'm going to get Romana to to you know bring it up when we come back from our break because, of course, we've got to do one of those things and, and, you know, to the sponsors and all that. But so, Romana... Hang on to your hang on to your thoughts there, because I know you're ready to go. And just for clarity, look at I wasn't behind this the, how they how they basically blew right through it to start. Mm -hmm. What I think was is that they really dropped the ball. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about that as well. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Um, if you were tuned in earlier, you know that my guests this hour, I've got Romana King joining me. Romana has been part of our real estate talk triangle in the past. She's on the West Coast. She's also the group editor at Finder and um, just one of those financial wizards that I love to have a chat with. And I've got Bryn Lackey here and Bryn is part of Chestnut Park. You also catch her um, articles in the Toronto Sun. And um, you know what, Bryn and uh, Romana, we were having a, a fun conversation. We were talking about, of course, the, the, the Ford debacle and yanking back the green belt. Romana, I didn't get you to weigh in yet because, you know, Bryn... Bryn definitely was able to, you know, articulate, um, you know, I, I think the sentiment for most people. And you know what? I, I, I need to hear you. I, I mean, we were sh chatting back and forth. And one of the things that I want to say is that I absolutely respected and, and agreed with Bryn in, in terms of, you know, when you have a very complicated issue like, uh, you know, rezoning a, a potential green belt or a green belt and people don't understand it and you sort of ramrod that through and just try and you know, do the flashy headlines as opposed to actually understand what's under the, the hood, it becomes a problem. And I think part of the problem of development over the years, not just the green belt, but over the years is that it is an unknown process. People don't quite understand it. Uh, and I think it's m now more than ever, we actually have to understand what actually goes on when we take a piece of land and we either rezone it or redevelopment and, and, and what factors go into those decisions. I think the green belt aside, I think it helps us understand that um, we need to have a more transparent and a more easily understood process, not just for the individual homeowner that has a large lot that wants to maybe uh, partition that lot, or in the past I've interviewed individuals where they had a large home in, in downtown Toronto, they wanted to divide it and make it into three condos and took 18 months just to get the approval to to submit the permits, not even to get, you know, to get approval for doing that, but you know, these really long-winded, really tough battles to try and rezone or redevelop, these need to be examined and, and opened up and really transparent so that people have 
a better idea of the options out there because there are North American cities that are densifying in a smart, strategic way. It doesn't have to be taking really quality, you know, green space. It can be, you know, looking at land that we already use and understanding how to use it better. And and yes, there are studies, and I'm thinking about a UBC study that that show that when we densify in higher end neighborhoods, property values do drop because people put a price tag on, on privacy. But we also need to, you know, push that notion or, or that nimbyism of like not in my backyard and understand our cities are growing. We need to value densification and vibrant cities and 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 you know multiple socioeconomic um, possibilities within a, within a neighborhood rather than value you know privacy because I have land to put many bushes on. Yeah, and and understand that there's a pro and a con for both, and we need to understand that and and make it transparent so people can vote according to their values. Yeah. One of the big problems, and, and you brought it up earlier, Romata, is there are three layers of government where we talk federal, uh, provincial, and then a mu- municipal, right? And I'm pretty sure that you caught the uh, the interview with Mr. Trudeau when he turned around and said, really, housing's not a federal issue, right? And then all of a sudden now, they're trying to double down. They're weighing in. A couple of weeks ago, they turned around and said, look, we're going to introduce another $20 billion in construction financing. And then just recently, again, out of his mouth, well, you know, we're going to throw in, you know, 87 million. Uh, folks, as a contractor, here's what I can tell you. 87 million, it does not build you very much. And, you know, you open up the, you open up the floodgates to 2 million people, 2,000 homes doesn't move the needle. It won't, I mean, that, that's, that's what most municipalities individually should be knocking out. They're making such a big deal that, oh yeah, we're going to build another 2,000 homes. Uh, what happened to the 1.5 million that now provincially has been promised? Federally has been promised, and yet this year there's no extra true properties. They may have 5,000 homes built, and Bryn, you've heard me go about this, where I turn around flat out and I say, shut up about 1.5, okay? I don't want to hear 1.5 out of another politician's mouth. What I want to hear is, hey, we built 50,000 more this year. We put the shovels in the ground, we put the boots on the ground, and we started to work. Yeah, well, that would be... A change. I mean, that would be refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the interesting part through all of this is they'll sit there and say, we need housing built, we need housing built, we need housing built. This is a priority of ours on this side of their mouth. And on the other side, they're increasing development charges and they are, you know, there are simple, there's a roadmap that people, you know, it's it's been used in the past, you know, tax incentives, um, reducing development charges, speeding up permits, use it or lose it for building permits, like all of those things. And they don't do that, and they instead allocate money that is not utilized properly because our systems in place are bizarre. We can't even make housing. Or sorry, we can't even make transit. So we're going to also download that to the government to figure out. Like it's the whole thing is just mind blowing. And then you look at it, and they sit there, and this it's it's kind this kind of I was thinking about this earlier, Romano, when you were saying about how rental housing is the most fundamental thing we can be doing right now. Because what's interesting, oh, particularly over the last three years, you've heard this vilification of the investor. Even now, there's zero, zero empathy for those people who got in over their heads. They may have taken out a home equity line of credit. They might have bought a down payment on a condo. They might be now sitting there with a variable rate where they're paying, yep. I thought, 10% at um, CIBC yesterday. Um, and we're saying, oh, these people are morons. Well, those people were essentially providing housing for the people that our government has stopped bothering. They have just completely abdicated the responsibility to provide rental housing. So 
free markets handling it, investors are attempting to do it. Are these people true investors if they don't understand, you know, cash flow? I mean, not in the truest sense of the word, but the reality is that they're filling a gap that was there. And so amidst all of these discussions, the failures of, and again, it's not a political party, it's every layer of government. Um, it's just beyond the pale. So I'm going to have Romana to touch on that. But the, the one point I need to make was you are 100% correct. Love that, hearing that. That is the private sector has done the fill-in <laughs> for rental properties since the Ray government turned around and forced most of the big landlords back in the early 90s out of the industry. And they stopped building. And Romana, I don't know if you were, if you can go back in your history books, but you might remember, because you're not that old, but you might remember when... All of a sudden, condominiums became the flavor for the next two decades because nobody, and I mean nobody, was building purpose-built rentals, period, with rent control in place. And how we actually created most of the rental properties for the last at least 20, 25 years was 100% condos. But part of that, and just to sort of put a, a fine tune on that, part of that was the, the, the condos were allowed to be built because they they wouldn't be included in the rental controls. You couldn't put rental controls on condo buildings if built after 19, I think it was 1980 around there. And so that's why all the developers rushed in. So I'm kind of agreeing with both of your points in that if we have a federal or a provincial or a municipal government in touch with what is required to help build in their regions, and they actually implement policies that incentivize the developers, because we are relying on the private sector essentially, to build housing for us, then it will happen. But we need to actually have whatever government, federal, provincial, municipal, actually consider, not now and during their election period, but 10 years and 20 years from now, what's required. And so as tough as it was for, you know, I'm not for or against what Ray did, but as tough as it did, Ray looked at it and said, we need more housing, whether it's going to be someone buying it and living in it or someone buying and renting it out. We need more housing. We need it quickly. We need a big influx. We're going to remove all these taxes. We're going to remove anything built after this doesn't have to be. It's not grandfathered into these rental controls. If you build it, you will be able to have an exempt from it. And so that's why all of those condo buildings went up and why we have a lot of condo buildings in Toronto now. There is something happening in BC that's kind of along the same lines. I'm excited to actually understand how it's going to transpire, not just in the next few years, but 10, 20 years from now. So the uh, the provincial government here said, hey, we're going to just bypass all you municipalities with all of your sta scattered approach on who can build what on what land. And we're going to say this, we're going to pass the bill and we're going to say, if you're on a single family home and you want to build or renovate and, and remodel so you have more than one unit on your on your single family lot, as long as you adhere to the setbacks and, and the, you can do that. And we're just going to bypass, we're going to override all you municipalities wow. to saying yes, we're going to... And so this is what they're doing. So this is now a provincial government that said a lot like the Ray time, and there's going to be pushback. People are going to be <laughs> upset over this because it devalue, you know, what if it devalues the property values, et cetera. But what it, they're trying to do is long term, they're trying to understand how do we get more density into the market? We're not going to dictate whether it's rental units or, or for sale units. How do we just get more density? And with that thought, we're going to go to our commercial break as usual, and I will have more with Ramada King and Bryn Lackey. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. It's amazing how fast the hour goes by, especially when I have two wonderful guests joining me. Bryn Lackey's in studio with me, and via Zoom, I've got Ramana King. 
And uh, you know, it's been a it's been a lively uh, discussion for sure. It's great to have Ramona King join us back again. Um, she's currently uh, the group editor at Finder, and uh, Bryn is also with Chestnut Park. So, um, you know, just before the break, of course, you know, we're we're, we're talking um, with Ramona about the West Coast, and one of the things that I heard, and and maybe you can tell me if it's a rumor or not, where they want to tax uh, in BC, they want to tax basically vacant rooms. So in other words, if you have a four, four bedroom home, they're considering on putting in a tax that if two people live in a four bedroom home, they're actually going to put an extra tax in for the two vacant bedrooms. So this, I, so it had been suggested by, I think it, well, it was one of the MPPs out there that, that for them to turn around and start either getting more taxes or forcing people like some of the baby boomers to come out of the bigger houses and that way they can let other families move in. I hope they get a lot of pushback on that. <laughs> uh, I, I have, I mean, I'm very pro densification and best use of land. I'm also very against governments coming in and telling homeowners um, and, and landowners, and, and that can be investors or other, how exactly they're supposed to use every inch or every square foot of their property. And that, that includes short-term rentals, like telling homeowners you cannot, you know, do short-term rentals in your unit or that's, you know, your mortgage helper. I'm really against that sort of level of, of government interference, in part because we make decisions that are not, um, it, it's not a uniform decision. There may be very, very solid reasons why there are, you know, two extra bedrooms in that home. It could be a home office. It could be um, an in, a home that someone is going to age in place in, so they're going to put hostel. It, it really is none of our business. It's like church and state. You know, stay out of my bedrooms, government. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, <laughs> it, for me. and part of the recommendation from the same group, and and again, they're they're in the government in BC was the fact that looking at your vacation properties and about short term leases with your vacation properties and taxing you uh, differently. And it's sort of like my cottage, for example. You know. Um, you know, I've got a, a cottage in the north, and if I'm not using it, they want to tax me more because I should be renting it out because, let's say, it's vacant for a certain period of the year. Well, I should be paying more on a vacancy tax to a vacation property. Well, I mean, that to me is just as asinine as telling me that I got to tax my bedroom. Like, when, 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 when we look at, especially because, you know, looking at some of these provincial governments and the way the, the landlord-tenant boards are reacting... You know, they've removed the power from the landlord, the owner. You know, if I have a vacation property that I want to use six months of the year, but you're forcing me to go to a one-year, like I can't kick out the, 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 the tenant after six months to go use my property. I mean, this is problematic. Like this is, this, this is getting to a serious level that if government can interfere at that level, why should anybody own? I mean, th this is the dilemma. And I, I do have a, a problem with, and I'm, I'm not sure where I sit on this, but I do have a problem with the idea that I'm going to tax you at a certain, from a certain perspective, as in your homeowner or property owner, and or sorry, I'm going to tax you as, as a business, but I'm not going to give you the benefits as a homeowner of that business. So I, if I have a home and I don't with a, an Airbnb, I must claim the the revenue on that, but I can't do any you know capital cost deductions because it'll actually hurt my ability from a CRA perspective, from a tax perspective, I could actually lose my principal residence exemption. So I don't want to do that. So any depreciation of the property, any wear and tear of the property, I just have to absorb. But I am taxed as essentially a business owner because I have to claim that revenue, which I, I would, I do, um, and then be taxed on that. 
so I don't get the benefit of being a business owner, but I'm taxed as a business owner. So I do have a problem when the government weighs in and, and says, and this is this is the problem with you know piecemeal regulations and you're trying to f- solve a problem, but you don't look at all the ramifications. I have a problem when a government comes in and says, we're going to tax this because we want more revenue. You shouldn't have to. Yes, but if you're going to tax, then give me the benefit of being a business owner. Yeah, give me that benefit. And 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 Bryn, you know, my comment about you know here in Ontario, you know, a lot of people own cottages. Can you imagine the fact that you know you they're saying, okay, well, you have to rent it out, or we're going to pay you. You're going to pay more taxes, and then they don't skew it at least in the favor of the landlord owner who's going to go owner occupied. No, now you got to treat it like a proper, you know, landlord tenant relationship. It is like. You know, when when this suggestion came across the table, I thought to myself, "You guys have finally lost your way." Like it, it doesn't finally. get well. Yeah, I mean, I'm got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, like I'm complete. I, 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 if and if tax a bedroom, video, tax a bedroom. Really yeah, right. not. Um, <laughs> you will see me slack jawed, staring into space, because what is happening? Like, what is happening? Who are these people? Like, and I, I wrote a column once, and I got in so much trouble because I was told to stay in my lane. Essentially, saying like these are our leaders. Like these are the people at the helm of these decision making where everyone, everything is reactive. Um, they are these, to your point, piecemeal. No one seems to be thinking at all broadly about it, thinking about the collateral impacts of these decisions. You are telling me. So here's a classic example. I have lots of clients who um, would love some mortgage helpers right now. They would never have a tenant in their home. They have small children upstairs. They have whatever. They don't want to deal with a tenant that there is zero oversight of tenants. And I'm and I'm speaking about bad tenants. Yep, there are a lot of incredible tenants. Yep. But you welcome that you have this person in your home with your children. They sign something saying no smoking. Um, you know, acknowledge you, there's a family upstairs. You get someone who doesn't care, stops paying the rent, is smoking weed in the basement all day long. What are you going to do? There's no one who's going to get them out of there. At least Airbnb offered them flexibility and, you know, some actual protections. Because the landlord-tenant board is useless. I have a client right now who has a tenant who has not paid rent in nine months. It's been endless, endless, endless. They game the system, game the system, game the system. And and again, there are a lot of hideous landlords. So I'm I'm not anti-tenant. I'm just saying that as long as we're abdicating our responsibility as a government and expecting landlords to provide housing, you actually have to have their back. And if you're going to tell me that I'm going to be penalized because I have a guest bedroom, we've lost the plot. And this is where you're going to see even-tempered, moderate, reasonably liberal Canadians like me <laughs> losing their minds. Because this is the stuff I hear and I go, who is electing these people? Yeah. So, Romano, what do you think? I think, I've, I think lost, I've, I've lost I, my mind I, on the radio. I think Bryn hit it right on the head. I've lost my mind. I, I, I would just ditto. I think, Bryn, you just summed it up very well. I mean, it, this is where I... I that's why I said, you know, get out of my bedroom, government. It's just not acceptable. And and hey, to your point, I did spend, my husband and I did have a rental unit and we did have a tenant and we know lots about this. And it's spe- we spent almost nine months and $10,000 pre-damage costs, $10,000 trying to get this tenant out of our unit because they were a bad tenant. And we're not bad landlords. We still have a rental property. We still work with our tenants. When, when COVID hit, I would, th- I would say that, you know, the, the first person that I would ask everyone to ask is my tenants, are my bad land? No, we're responsive. We're quick. We're, we're responsible about our investment. And yet I was one of those individuals, despite all my knowledge, stuck in landlord-tenant tribunals, trying to understand how this person was able to, you know, use the system to hurt me as a de facto, you know, provider of, te- uh, of rental units. 
And of course, the first thing I thought afterwards was, I don't want to go through this again. How do I know? Yes, I'd like to. And I, I, we didn't. We don't have that rental unit. But given the same, I would I would definitely prefer Airbnb where I don't have to handle, right. the, you know, the, the agonies of it. And I, I think that's a, a justifiable concern, particularly for families. We bought a home in Vancouver strictly without a rental unit for that reason. So, so it does speak to people, you know. If I don't have the opportunity to keep my family safe, to get a mortgage helper, then, then you know what? I'm not going to be your de facto uh, landlord yeah. and, and so, provide rental units that you so desperately need government. So, Ramana, I'm, I'm going to close it out by a, a shameless <laughs> plug at this point. Because if you were part of the Simple Investor, you would <laughs> never miss a month's rent and never have to worry about the, the harassment that we do under our management program. And with that said, I just want to thank you, Ramana, for joining me. You, Bryn, for being here in studio. Ramana, great catching up with you. Fabulous to see you again. And um, so, you know, it's amazing how fast the show goes by. And I do want to thank thank uh, Ramana and, and Bryn for making it very lively. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to having the two of you together again here on the show. And for those of you that have not registered for that Saturday, November the 4th, 11 a.m., Hey, if you don't sign up, you don't get a chance to win and you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com. I do want to thank my producer, Aiden. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And of course, I want to thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show and look forward to talking to you next weekend as well. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.